0: Um Shadows around me, shadows above me, never conceal my savior and guide. He is the light. Max Licato tells
1: a story about Jake, a game warden. Already I feel somewhat in a groan. Game warden, that's a tough position, isn't it? But Jake, a game warden, he was always amazed that Sam, a fisherman, showed up at the end of the day, and Sam would have a couple or three stringers full of fish. I mean, he just had a full, uh, bountiful amount of fish. Well, this happened even when all the other fishermen that were out that day, came back with only two or three fish. There's Sam with these just amazing amounts of fish. Now, this particular lake that uh, they were fishing on was loaded with fish, but they seemed to elude the average fisherman. Uh, so there was, a, there was no limit on the number of fish that you could have, but there was, of course, a limit on the size fish. And all of Sam's fish that he would bring in, uh, they were large enough to bring home with him. Well, the curiosity of the game warden finally got the best of him, and so on one occasion he said to Sam, he said, I'd like to know your secret. I'd like to know your secret. Well, Sam was a man who didn't use many words, so he simply said to the game warden, these words, show up tomorrow morning. Well, the next morning, long before dawn, the game warden was there, and Sam showed up and met him, and they started the motor, and... 30 or 40 minutes later, they were out in some secluded part of the lake. It was important to Sam that it was very secluded and nobody else was around. When they stopped the motor, everything got very still, and the game board and Jake just decided to kind of sit back and cross his eyes and watch Sam go to work and find out how in the world is he able to get so many fish. Well, about that time, Sam reached down into his tackle box. He pulled out a slender stick of dynamite. He lit it tossed it up in the air. It hit the lake and boom! There was a tremendous explosion. In a matter of seconds, fish began to bubble up on the lake's surface. Fish of all sorts of sizes. And (laughs) without saying a word, Sam just got his net and he began to kind of gather up the fish. And meanwhile, game warden Jake's just losing his mind. He said, wait, you break all the rules. I'm going to throw the book at you. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to stick you in jail. I can't believe you're doing this. And about that time, Sam reached in, got another stick of dynamite, lit it, and threw it into Jake's lap. <laughs> and he said this to Game Boy Jake. Are you going to sit there watching all day or are you going to fish? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. At that moment in Jake's life, (laughs) when that dynamite, that lit dynamite hit his lap, what was it that motivated him at that moment? Was it the law? No, we all know the answer. It was saving his own skin. All of us have motives in life. They can be good motives, they can be bad motives, but they influence, they drive our behaviors. And at that day, the motive to save his own skin, I'm sure, it motivated old game warden Jake to get to fishing and quit watching. Well, Paul and Silas here, and we're studying First Thessalonians. I'd ask you to go there again. They've been accused, in a real way, of impure motives when it came, when it came to their ministry among the Thessalonians uh, there. When you read chapter 2 of First Thessalonians, where we're studying right now, we see that they're responding to those who criticize their ministry. Uh, There were those who say that Paul and Silas and those who worked with them, uh, they had impure motives and they uh, had an impure ministry. And in the opening 12 verses that we began studying together last time, uh, Paul appeals to their recollection. He he calls upon these Thessalonian believers uh, with phrases like this, you know, you remember. Or you are witnesses. In other words, you were there. You were there doing the ministry. You received the ministry. You can personally account to what we did, how we did it, and hopefully why we did it. In fact, Paul sets out uh, to show them that their ministry there was not impure. It was a pure ministry. It was with the right heart. It was true. It was God-honoring. It was motivated by the right things. And from his words, we began last week looking at six marks of a godly ministry, And really this is applicable not only to pastors and preachers and full-time vocational workers, this is applicable to all of us in our ministries and our service for the Lord Jesus. So let me just go ahead and read again the first 12 verses if you'll follow along there in your copy of the Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. Watch for these phrases, you know, you remember, you are witnesses. And then we'll kind of pick up where we left off last time and go into those six marks of a godly ministry. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. You know it was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. We might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. For laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, I won't take the time to rehash them, beloved, but I gave you the first two marks last time. Six marks of a godly ministry from the words of Paul here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. First of all, it's not in vain. It's not a failure. He says that right off. And then secondly, we talked about the boldness that they had. Even after they had suffered persecution in Philippi, they came to Thessalonica and they also met opposition there. And, and, and those are two of the marks of a godly ministry. But there's a third mark I want to talk to you about today and it's simply this. A godly ministry is pure. A godly ministry is pure. It's a pure ministry. The motives are pure. The practices are pure. They're clean. They're above reproach. Can you just listen for a moment? I want to read just a few of those verses again, this time from a different translation. <coughs> I want to read it from the NLT. I just, just want to read 3 through 6 through the, from the NLT. Listen to what it says. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once do we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone. Verse 10 in the NLT says this, You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. To summarize what he's saying here to these believers, it's simply this, you all know that we did not try to trick you to please you or to rob you. And you know that's true. You're witnesses to it. Let's talk about those three phrases real quick. First of all, we didn't try to trick you. <clears throat> that's what he's saying there. In verse 3, this time from the NIV, just so you can hear it slightly different. By the way, he said, well, why do you use different versions? Why do you use different translations? Well, because they're a translation. Uh, originally, this is written in Greek, and so this is an English translation. I read it first time in New King James. Then I read some in NLT, and this time... Listen to what the NIV says. For the appeal we made does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. At no time was our message devised and given to trick you. It was a pure message with pure motives. He had already reminded them in verse 2 that this message had cost Paul and Silas. They weren't, just, they weren't getting glory from this message. They were getting grief. They were getting opposition, persecution, they got beatings in Philippi. They got thrown in jail in Philippi. When they got to Thessalonica, they had opposition and trouble. They were, they were kind of put out of the city in many regards. And it's important that we remember, beloved, that when we're speaking to others, that we're actually sharing truth. Especially in ministry, we're sharing truth. That is the truth of the Word of God. That, that's the case whether we're teaching a Sunday school lesson or giving someone advice. People, listen, they need to hear God's Word, not ours. They need to hear God's Word. The truth of the matter is I have nothing to share with you, really, if I'm not sharing this. You don't need my Word, you need God's Word. You don't need my advice, you need God's Word. And when it comes to talking with people and ministering to people and serving, we ought to constantly be returning to the Word of God and saying, you know, what God says in His Word, what God's Word says, what this verse says, well, well, look at this Scripture. And we're pointing people back to the authority. How is it that a man can stand in a pulpit and preach authoritatively? Is it because of him? No, it's because of what he preaches if he's preaching the Word of God. The Word of God is the authority. And so what I give you today is the Word of God. And Paul says, listen, we weren't trying to trick you. We weren't trying to deceive you. The message that we brought to you is a pure message, and you know that's the case. It didn't bring glory to us. It brought grief to us. It it hurt. And I mentioned, of course, I think it was last week, that sometimes the, the truth will get you in trouble, and the truth will bring problems. And as you live the Christian life, it can bring great issues into your life. But thank God you're not alone. God enables you and helps you and supports you and He keeps us in His own care. We didn't try to trick you, but He also said in this passage, we didn't try to please you. We didn't try to please you. Look at verse 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. And don't misunderstand. This is not teaching that we should go out of our way to be rude and offensive and to offend people and to be a, what what we might call a jerk for Jesus. By the way, there is no true such thing. That is, we try to go out of our way to be offensive to people and be rude and, and, and just make people just turn off to us. No. This comes back to motive. What he's meaning there is, we didn't come into your city seeking to win your applause and please you. We came and we spoke and we ministered to please God. We, we spoke his words. We gave his ministry. Paul and Silas's goal was to please God. And if that displeased others, then so be it. Now, this is especially hard. Can I just be honest with you? This is especially hard for those of us who are people pleasers. There are those of us that are wired. We, we want to be liked. I like the people to like me. I like to be accepted. I think most normal people do. Not many. Now, there might be some. Don't look around. Just keep your focus on them. There might be some that you think they'd like to be disliked. They, they like to be that way. But the majority of us, we like to be like, we like to please people. We like to be able to say yes, and we like to be able to, to do what people want us to do. But that can't be the motive for our life, and it can't be the motive for our ministries. The ultimate motive is not to please people, it is to please God. And the reality is there are going to be times in our lives, in our ministries, in our service, that in order to please God, we're going to have to displease some people. And so people are not going to like us and they're going to be upset with us and they're not going to say nice things to us and about us. But he says, you know, we didn't come in to please you. We're not people pleasers. We want to please God. We cannot please everyone, nor should we try. There's one that we need to focus on. And that is pleasing God. And if Paul and his associates were just out to please people, if that was their whole goal, they did a horrible job of it. (laughs) Because they went around and trouble followed them because the message they were preaching, uh, it really rubbed people the wrong way because they were preaching God's message. He says, listen, we didn't try to trick you. We didn't try to please you. That is, we didn't come in with that motive of just doing what you wanted us to do. We were there to please God And then thirdly, he basically said this, we didn't try to rob you. We didn't try to rob you. Paul alludes to two specific things here in this passage. He he alludes to money and he alludes to praise. First of all, he kind of says to them, we didn't try to rob you of money. Did you notice verse number 5? For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Now, covetousness is not a word. I, I doubt any of us use that word in general conversation this past week. Unless we were discussing a scripture that discussed it or we were studying for a lesson or something, I doubt covetousness is a word that you use three and four times a week. You know, to covet is to desire something someone else has in a sinful way. And he says, listen, we didn't use words. We didn't do these things uh, as a cloak of covetousness. That is, we were trying to rob you of your money. We weren't sweet-talking you so we get to your pocketbook. You know, sometimes, sad to say, even those in ministry, those in full-time vocational ministry, they do things out of greed. They do things so they can get money. I read about a businessman who made an appointment with a local pastor, and he was... He wanted to talk to this pastor about acquiring the pastor's services to do a funeral. And so he met with the pastor, and believe it or not, the whole case was about this man wanted the pastor to do a funeral for his dog. And upon learning that the deceased was a dog, the pastor sternly asked the man to look elsewhere for help, and he lectured the man about the dignity of the pastorate, How in the world could you come asking me to do a funeral for a dog? Well, before leaving, the man asked the pastor to make his pastor friends aware that there was a $300 honorarium that he would provide for the pastor who did the funeral for the dog. And the pastor quickly responded, Oh, oh, come back in. You didn't tell me your dog was a Christian. We can do things out of greed, out of a desire to pad our pocketbook. Beware of, of covetousness, the Bible says. This accusation especially must have really stung Paul and Silas. They had been so careful while they were in Thessalonica to work and provide their way so they were not even a burden to these people. Look at verse number 9. He says to them in verse 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be burdened to any of you, we preached to you the gospel of praise. We worked like dogs. I know that's, that's the Rodney version of the translation. We, we worked ourselves hard that we wouldn't have to be a burden to you. And, and we paid our way so we could share the gospel. with you. We weren't there to rob you of money. You know that. We didn't take your money. But also, we didn't try to rob you of praise. Look, if you will, this time to verse number 6. He says, "As for human praise. This is an NLT. "As for human praise. We have never sought it from you or anyone else. This comes back to motive. Paul says, we didn't come there to get praise from you. That was not our intent. Our ministry was all about Jesus, not us. Now, I've got to be honest with you. This is an area where all of us, all of us, myself included, we have to be careful in this. Even in doing ministry, to always direct the praise and the honor and the glory to whom it belongs, to the Lord. He alone is worthy. It is possible to do ministry, service, good works, to help people personally. And the whole motive is not love for Jesus and love for the person. It's not the idea of serving them in Jesus' name the real motive behind it at times, if we're not careful, can be so we get the praise. We get the glory. We get to hear about how nice we are and how good we are and how generous we are and how great we are and what a wonderful Christian we are. and Oh, you know, all these things. And we got to guard our hearts. We've got to guard our hearts. Because it's so easy to move from true service and a motive of true service and, and to... Well, no, it's now about me, and we kind of get puffed up about that. Paul calls upon them to testify. He says to be witness, and and God as well, how they behaved among these precious Thessalonians here. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also. He says, listen, you remember, and we'll even call God to, to verify the truth of this. You are witnesses of God also, how devoutly and justly, and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believed. In other words, he says, don't listen to just what we're saying. Remember how we lived. Remember how we ministered to you. Remember how we served you. Didn't have it in my notes, but just thought about the fact you know, we're making memories in other people's minds about how we serve and about how we treat others. On about what we do in regards to others. And our motive must always be to bring honor and glory to God. Our motives need to be pure. He says to these Thessalonians here our motives were pure, our ministry is pure, our testimony speaks for itself. It's not just words that we're saying, it's not just words from our lips, it's our life. It backs it up. You remember, you know, you're witnesses. Other people are coming in and criticizing what we did here. But you know, our ministry was not in vain. It was not a failure. Look at what God did in your life. You know, we were bold to preach. Even though it cost us personally, we were bold to preach it. Furthermore, it was pure. I mean, we weren't getting glory to ourselves. We weren't taking your money. We weren't seeking your praise. We always pointed you back to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. And that's the way we should live our lives as well. When I think about their motives... When we think about their motives, we have to bring it back to our lives and ask ourselves, what are our motives? What are our motives when it comes to what we do? I read about a young man who had his eyes on a new girl. You know, guys do that. They're looking for a girl. He saw this new girl, and he wanted to get a date with this girl. And so he stopped by the candy shop in town, and he told the salesman, That he needed three candy arrangements. Well, that's interesting, not just one, not just two. He needed three candy arrangements for his date. And the salesman said, Well, can you tell me why you need three? You know, what's that all about? He said, Well, if she shakes my hand, she gets five dollar worth of candy. Five dollar arrangement. He said, if she hugs me really well, she gets ten dollars. Worth of candy. But if she kisses me, she gets the $25 box of candy. Well, he got his three things of candy. I don't know how he's going to work all this out, but he had it. And that night he knocked on the door. Much to his delight, he was welcomed in. And not only welcomed in, they asked him to join them for supper. Oh, that's always good when they invite you in for supper, especially when you got the girl there. And her father asked the young man if he would pray. You know, ask the blessing. This young man, he bowed his head and he prayed. And I mean he prayed. He used the best words he knew how. He prayed as much as he could pray. I mean, you talk about a prayer. This boy, he prayed at that table. And finally, the girl leans over and she said, I didn't know you were so spiritual. And he shot back, I didn't know your father was the candy salesman. (laughs) Why do we do what we do? Why do we pray the way we pray? Why do we serve the way we serve? Why do we give the way we give? What is it that motivates our behavior? What is it that motivates our activity? What is it that motivates our service for Jesus Christ? Our overarching theme must always be, our motive must always be, as we sing sometimes here, to God be the glory. Great things He hath done. Would you bow with me? Father, we've been challenged from Your Word today. Forgive us when we get off track and why we're serving and how we're serving. Father, forgive us. It's so easy at times to... absorb some of that recognition and that praise and that glory for ourselves to, to kind of puff ourselves up. We acknowledge today that you alone are worthy of all honor and glory and praise. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of serving you. It is a privilege. We acknowledge that. Even on the most difficult days, it is an honor to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. So would you search our hearts today? Would you help us all as believers to look at our lives and be honest with ourselves and really allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and see if there might be some things that we're not doing with the right motive? And we'll get right about those things. And then, Lord, as we go throughout this week and in the days that would follow this message and this meeting, would you help us to be alert? Would you help us to begin to measure our motives as we carry our lives? Would you help us to stop and be honest with ourselves and correct ourselves? I pray your Holy Spirit to work in our lives and to really begin to show us the true motives of our heart. Thank you, Father, that you don't condemn us. You, you correct us. You Work with us to help us to be more like Jesus. Lord Jesus, we love you today. We serve you only because you first loved us. And you showed us the way by your selfless, sacrificial service. So continue to teach us from this book. Thank you for these words. Father, if somebody's here today and they don't know you, I pray today will be the day where your Holy Spirit touches their heart and they place their faith in Christ. We love you, we praise you, we bring glory to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning and the altar is open. I'd rather have Jesus, number 530. I think it fits nicely with the whole thought of why we do what we do. Is it says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Or I'd rather be his than have... Riches untold, I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands, I'd rather be led by his nail pierced hand. And to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Let's stand up and sing. The altar's open if you need to come. Five thirty.